so this morning, continuing to look at what the future holds. This has been a study where we've been looking at what the scripture teaches us we can anticipate as the future unfolds. And a few weeks ago, I introduced to you at least our best understanding of what the future holds, and we started with after the ascension of Jesus. After the ascension of Jesus, there were four major events, Pentecost, rapture, second coming, great white throne, that will lead to four major time periods. Pentecost will bring in the church age, when the Holy Spirit comes, what we just declared in song, and fills us so that we might be the body of Christ living out the work of Christ. Then he will come in the clouds and call his people to meet him in the air. When the church is removed from the earth, the tribulation will begin and it will be like hell on earth for seven years. We read extensively from the scriptures last week of the unfolding wrath of God from the seals to the judgments, excuse me, from the seals to the trumpets to the bowls of the unfolding wrath of God being poured out. That will come to an end when Christ with us return with him, not into the clouds, but come back to planet earth. And we will, with Christ, rule and reign with him in the millennium. It's a thousand year reign. That's why it's called the millennium. The end of which will be the battle of Gog and Magog. We'll look at that in two weeks. And then the great white throne judgment where those who have not trusted in Jesus Names not written in the book of life will be judged according to their works and they will be cast into the eternal lake of fire and those whose names are in the book of life will be with the Lord forever in the new heaven on the new earth. So that's how we see the future unfolding. And so we've been looking at each event and each time period through this series. Today, we're actually going to look at something not represented on the chart. Here's why. Uh, there's a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that says, For we must all appear, and we'll come back and define who the we is in a moment, but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed. Do you know what that means? <laughs> Paid for, rewarded for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the scripture defines that there will be in the future a judgment seat of Christ. And if I take us back to this, you may go, I don't see that on here. Or you may think, oh, the great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ are synonymous events. They're just given different names. But there's a distinct difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Because in, Je in Revelation 20, and we'll look at it in a few weeks, it is very specifically defined that those who appear before the great white throne are ones whose names are not written in the book of life and therefore will be judged according to their works, and because they are judged according to their works, will be cast into the lake of fire. So this is not the judgment seat of Christ. This is for the 
unbeliever. The judgment seat of Christ, very different. If we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse before we just looked at says this. Therefore, we, and we're trying to identify who the we is, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home, that is, in this body or absent from this body, to be pleasing to him. Do all people want to be pleasing to the Lord? No, of course not. This is a reference very specifically, we who are believers, who have trusted in Jesus, who have understood that we have been made now children of God and we are no longer to live for ourselves but for him who died in our place. So 2 Corinthians 5 is a direct reference to a judgment seat of Christ where we will all, we meaning not all people, but we believers. So very distinct from the, judge, the great white throne judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, and it is the place of judgment for believers. Here is my, and I always try it in this series to go, here's what the scriptures say, and here's what I think, all right? I think, no, the scripture says a judgment seat of Christ will take place. I think it will happen in heaven while the tribulation is happening on earth. Because believers will not be here. We will be with the Lord. We've already seen that. And we have been reunited at the rapture with now our new body. And we will give an account for what we have done and be rewarded. Here's why I think it's happening in heaven while the tribulation is on earth. In Revelation chapter 4, it's when we see the church, the letters to the churches in chapters 1, 2, 3. Then the scene moves to heaven, which is why we think this is after the rapture, scene in heaven of worship. Here's what we'll see. There are those in heaven with crowns. And the New Testament often re equals rewards with crowns, though I think it would involve more than that. Crowns represent rewards. And it says that they are around the throne worshiping with crowns on their head in chapter 4, verse 3. But then in verse 10, they take their crowns, and you might know this, they take their crowns from their head and they, they lay them before the throne at the feet of Jesus. And there is continual scenes of worship in heaven after that, but no one is seen wearing a crown. Why? Because they had laid them at the feet of Jesus. It's not until Revelation 19 that we see someone wearing, crown, wearing a crown again, and it's actually when Jesus returns with his saints to the earth, and it says that he is wearing a robe dipped in blood, we'll look at this next week, and wearing... Many crowns. We are with him. It doesn't seem we have any crowns, but I believe you can put all that together. As we begin our worship in heaven, 
We will do so having stood before the judgment seat of Christ and received reward. But because it was for the Lord and by the Lord, we will take those crowns and lay them at his feet. So I think the crowns are reflective of the rewards that happen that are revealed at the beginning of the scene in heaven and they transfer from us to the Lord Jesus. At that place, the judgment seat of Christ, believers, what will be at stake? What will be judged? Well, it says, so that each one, who's the each one? Each believer in Jesus may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. So the judgment seat of Christ is the place of judgment for believers where judgment will be about what we have done while in this body. I'll get more specific a little bit later about the deeds of the body. What's troublesome about this text, if I can be honest with us, is this. It seems that after it says we'll be judged for what we've done in our body, it says... Last phrase in your Bible, are you there? Whether good or bad. So it would seem that you as a believer, me as a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus, we're going to go before the judgment seat of Christ, which if you've ever heard the expression, the Bema seat, same place. And our life, all that we've done, good and bad, is going to be revealed. And there's going to be moments for you of great joy and moments of great shame. That's the way I was taught. I don't think it's true. It's powerful because I can very specifically remember being told as a teenager, all that stuff you do in secret, it's going to come out and everybody's going to see it. What? That's horrible. The evil, because maybe your translation says evil. The bad cannot mean, don't miss this, it cannot mean sinful. When we, as believers, are before the judgment seat of Christ, our sin will not be what is being judged. Why not? Because <laughs> the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It can't be our sin because our sin, well, let me get ahead of myself. It can't mean sinful. I'm about to show you why in the text. It cannot mean sinful. I'll show you what it means in a moment, but it can't mean sinful because when you were dead in your transgressions, transgressions, in other words, when you were separated from God because of your sin, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. 
having canceled out that certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, that those decrees that said guilty, guilty for selfishness, guilty for greed, guilty for lust, guilty for hate, which we all were. It was what? Canceled out. How? He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, the power of the cross, watch, the power of the cross is the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our sin was poured out on Christ. And therefore, if it was poured out on Christ, it is impossible that when I am before the Lord at the judgment seat, that I would pay for the sin that Jesus has already paid for. So this whole idea, if you've grown up living your entire life of fear of like, oh man, I can't believe that's going to be on the videotape. And everybody, your mama's going to go, what? <laughs> Not true. If your appreciation for the cross doesn't increase by that reality, you didn't listen. Seriously. The power of the cross is the power to remove our shame. And shame is a powerful motivator. And so I understand why they were just trying to get me to live a good life. But that's not the way we motivate people to live a good life. The way we motivate is by understanding the grace of God and the power of what Jesus has done on the cross. It cannot mean sinful. Our sin has been taken out of the way at the cross. So, the scripture says clearly, uh, by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I never want to get tired of reminding us that our salvation is by grace and grace alone. Because everything around us tells us, no, you get what you deserve. You get what you earned. And that is not the reality of our salvation. We get what someone else has done for us. We get forgiveness when we trust in Jesus because of what he has done, not what we have done. So it leaves the question, what will this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, determine if the judgment is of our works, which we already established, but our works do not determine our salvation? What's being judged then? And here it is. Our sin has been taken out of the way. So there is only, if you will, good before the judgment seat of Christ. Why does it say good and bad then? Or good and evil? For this simple reason. 
there will, at the judgment seat of Christ, a place of recompense, of reward. All of our good will be determined whether it is worthy of reward. In other words, you can do good but not receive reward for it. How can that be? Well, we're going to go to another passage that speaks, the other main passage that expands on the judgment seat of Christ in a moment. But let's establish before we leave this passage, the judgment will be to determine which deeds are worthy of reward. All right, now I'm going to invite you, because we're going to live longer in this passage, and let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. This is the more extended passage that speaks to the issue of reward for that which we have done in our body, not dealing with our salvation, Don't get lost here. We're not dealing with salvation. The judgment seat of Christ is not a time of determining salvation. It's determining reward. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, start in verse 10, set the context. According to the grace of God which was given to me, this is the author Paul writing about himself personally first. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. What? The foundation. And then he clarifies, verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul's, and we'll continue in a moment, but make sure you understand, he's using an analogy of what we do in this body for good is the building up of the body of Christ, and he's using a picture of it's a building. And every building has a foundation. And he says the foundation is and only can be Jesus Christ. No one who builds in the kingdom of God, has any business trying to lay another or new foundation. That foundation has been established. We're building on the foundation. It's a big, important point. Because it's very easy to simply look around and see how many people do good, but they're not building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They're building on the foundation of either their name, their goodness, their success, their prosperity. It's not about Jesus. No. It's about them or just humanity. Something other than Christ. So, He's clarifying. You want to be a part of building the kingdom of God? Don't mess with foundation work. (laughs) That's been done. Now, 
as you consider building on the foundation, what Jesus has done, that is that, that the gospel that he has paid the price so that we can enter into relationship with God by grace through faith. For building on that, if any man builds on the foundation with, and now he uses because it's a building metaphor, different materials. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident. It'll become clear what he built with. Why? For the day, that is, and some translations are, are clear here, for the day, that is the judgment seat of Christ, will show it because it, is, because it is to be revealed with fire. Huh. So. We're anticipating no accidents here. Kind of minimal. I wanted bigger, but I got denied. <laughs> They're really not happy about this. But the picture here is the judgment seat of Christ will place a fire. Here's, here's what gets confusing. Usually when we think of eternity and fire, we think hell. This is not hellfire. This is testing fire, not for the unbeliever, but for the believer. And not according to the condition of their soul, but the quality of their works, their deeds. See? Each man's work will become evident for the day the judgment seat of Christ will show it because it, is, because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved. Why? Because <laughs> we are not saved by works, yet so as through fire. So the process for the judgment seat of Christ is my works being tested by fire. This is why it says in our last passage, whether it's good or Bad. Is it fireproof? And the fire will reveal the quality. All good works may look the same, but they are of different quality. Not perfect, but you can probably tell, though they're both about the same size and both about the same color, can you tell they're different material? This is stone and this is a painted two by four. <laughs> it looks the same. What will reveal that it's different? I'm not gonna do it, don't worry. But if I put this, it would 
get hot, but it would remain. If I put this, I'd have to get the fire extinguisher because it would burn. You see, when you and I do things, it can look the same, but be of different quality. And the day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ is not testing the spiritual condition of our soul. We are with, one with God through Christ. It's testing the quality of our works. Worthy of a reward because it remains bad equals worthless of reward because it is burned up. So, My work's tested. That which is going to get put at the flame will include the words that come out of my mouth. Again, am I talking about profanity? No. No, my sin has been taken out of the way. The words that come out of my mouth, seemingly good or neutral words, what I've done, not my sinful deeds, but everything else, uh, and what I've given, how I have used the resources that God has given to me. That's what's going to be tested. What I've said, done, and given for Remember, we, what's the image? The building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So I, can, I build by my words, by my actions, by my investments, if you will, for the sake of reaching the lost. That's building up the body. And building up the believer. So I am making the body, excuse me, if the, the image is, I'm making the building bigger, not adding to the foundation, but I'm making it bigger as more people believe in Jesus, and I'm making it stronger as people believe in Jesus grow into maturity like Christ's likeness. So my sin is taken out of the way. I'm one with God, and I get a life to live for the sake of building up the kingdom of God. And then when I die, and I'm with the Lord, that life gets tested by fire to reveal the quality of what I did while in the body. You tracking with me? Now you may, if you're tracking with me, think, well, not fair, Doug. Your job allows you to build up reward in heaven. True? Does my job allow me to, to build up reward in heaven? Yes? Automatically? No. We'll see. My job does. How about yours? You have equal opportunity as a salesman? Yes. A contractor? Student? 
Why do we think that? Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For whom? For whomever, whatever you do. You have equal reward opportunity regardless of what you do. Stay at home, raise kids, go to work, go to church, drive a bus, fly an airplane. Because whenever you do those things, what you say, what you do, and how you invest, what you receive from doing those things has opportunity for reward. But it's going to be tested to see what's the quality of what you did, whatever you did. So what's the fire going to test? Three tests. First, the fire will reveal, the scripture says very clearly, it's going to reveal if it was done in love. If it's done in love, then what is it? Something that will remain. If it's good but not done in love, it'll burn up. Can you do good things but not in love? <laughs> All the time. Very, very easy to do good things not in love. Why do I think that? 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, this is why when we talk about being bold and sharing the gospel, bold does not mean rude and obnoxious because you can share the gospel and make people cover their ears like they would if you were going into their face and banging cymbals together. If somebody came up to you and started banging cymbals, you would close your ears and run away from them, which can often be a picture of the church. So we always think, well, did we share? Were we bold? Did, were we persuasive? Did we say it right? The fire's gonna test Was it said in love? It goes on. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, I know everything about everything. <laughs> and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, <laughs> but do not have love, nothing. In other words, what my life amount to? Ashes. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, man, that is commitment. But do not have love, it profits me nothing. 
This is crazy. Really? I can give like extensively, like with lots of zeros, I can give to poor and it's going to end up ashes? No. See, it's not just, now, you can't get reward if you don't give. <laughs> it's not, ooh, I don't want to have anything burned up, so I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Same net result. I want to do, but what I do in, in love. Second, it was done without expectation of return. I did something. And I didn't expect return. Jesus says it this clear. Love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. So it's, was it done in love? Was it done with expectation that there would be kickback, some return? And I think most of us genuinely go, no, I didn't expect anything in return until we don't get it. And then we go, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> oh, everybody, every single one of us have thought, ah, I didn't think I did it for a return until I didn't get it. And then even if you went, I'm going to keep doing it. But you're hacked, bitter, frustrated, Judging them. I mean, anybody knows if something does somebody, somebody does something for you, you do it back to them. Come on, wake up. Right? <laughs> so we don't think we do it for return until we don't get it, and then it changes our behavior. And at that moment, whenever you and I think that thought, we don't even need to wait for the fire. Well, Lord, there was ashes right there. You don't need to test that one. I already know. I admit it. I've had to say that. Oh, Lord. I didn't think it was for return until I didn't get it. Third, the fire will reveal if it was done for the Lord. And done for the Lord gets Jesus' contrast, done for the Lord with done to be noticed by men. Watch in Matthew 6. So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be what honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If you do it for men and they honor you for it, then you got it, but you're not going to get it on that day. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, what? Don't do it to be noticed so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, the reward is for when it was done for the Lord. When it's done to be noticed, the fire will reveal it. 
When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may, same idea, be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you go, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, again, when it's done for him, then he rewards. Now, every once in a while, somebody gets tripped up and go, well, Matt prayed in front of all of you this morning. (laughs) Gone. I was told I should get that magic paper and I could light it and it would just disappear. I didn't know there was such a thing. Because he prayed in public, did he lose reward in heaven automatically? No, that's not, that's, it's not the idea you can't pray in public, public. It's that you don't pray for the applause, the praise, the honor. Oh, people will think more of me. But it's a fair question to go, do I ever pray when no one else is listening to the Lord? And he says, if any man's work is burned up, so it's revealed that it was either not in love, it was with an expectation of return, it was for man, not for the Lord. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Not the hell fire, but the testing fire. So my works that burn up, will any of us have works that burn up? Yeah. I felt bad an individual said to me Thursday night, ah, that was so hard, Doug. I'm just going to have a pile of ashes. I don't know if that's true or not. I doubt it. But here's the good news. I said to him, well, I'm glad you're here tonight because you could change that. If you look back and you go, man, I hate that, that all of my good stuff ultimately came down to about me and about getting applause and didn't have anything to do for, for the Lord and out of genuine love, then I'm glad you're here because you can change that. And you can recognize that you, if you have trusted in Jesus, this is not maybe, you will. You'll stand before the Lord. And it won't be to shame you. It will be to reward you. And it'll be an opportunity for all that you've done to be tested. And then given. When it was for the Lord in love. A reward. Now you may go, yeah, but you haven't told us what is the reward? Because that matters, doesn't it? Yeah, when I I taught our kids, uh, you only get dessert if you eat all your vegetables, everything on your plate. You know what they always wanted to know? What's for dessert? Because really, is that broccoli worth it? I'm not sure. Some dessert made worth it. In other words, dessert was like, "Mm, I'll take my losses. (laughs) 
you have an opportunity for reward. What's it going to be? No clue. I really, I don't know. Like brownies in heaven? You're going to get your favorite motorcycle to ride around heaven? What's it going to be? I don't know. Why? Because the scripture doesn't really clearly define. But do I have any concern that the reward is going to be something that I go, oh, shoot, I should have lived it up on earth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do we really think we're going to get to heaven? God's going to go, well, we ran a little short here, 1999 and three easy payments for you. That is absolutely absurd. What's the scripture say? The scripture says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly father? See, I am not concerned. Is the reward going to be something that I'm going to be excited about? I only don't try to imagine because... I'll diminish it for less than what it really will be. So I don't know what. I know that there will be nothing left on earth that I wished I would have held on to or done differently in exchange. It's going to be good. And because it's going to be good, I want to live in a manner of love without expectation in return for the Lord. It's how I do want to go to work. It's how I want to give a sermon. It's how I want to interact with my neighbors. It's how I want to set my budget every year. That, that when it gets tested by fire, there's a reward going to be given. Inevitably, a man's going to email me. Women usually don't email me this, but I've had multiple men email me this in the past. Here's the general idea. Hey, if I get to heaven, I don't really care if I get a reward or not. As long as I get in, I can be in the nosebleeds, no problem. Now, some of you are going, wow, you read my email. I didn't know you read your email. <laughs> but that's, I've had multiple men say, I don't really care. You know what Jesus says to that? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. In other words, Jesus says, it does matter and you ought to go after it. You ought to. You ought to live in a manner that says, I am living for treasure and heaven. Because any treasure here is going to either rust, rot, or get ripped off. And every treasure there will be better than I can imagine and last forever. It does matter. Do not approach this. Don't walk out today going, hey, Salvation's by grace. As long as I get in, I'm fine with the nosebleeds. Live for treasure in heaven. Second question. Isn't that selfish? 
If you want reward in heaven, then that selfishness, so now it's going to burn up. (laughs) I am certain that the Lord knows when you live for reward in heaven, that that will not be for selfish purposes. One of the things I love about what Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Whoa, I'm allowed to be happy that my reward in heaven will be great? I can rejoice in that? Yes. Why? (laughs) Because it's going to be all to the glory of the Father. The greater, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know this. The greater the reward, the greater to the glory of the Father. Rejoice and be glad. Never shrink back and go, oh no, I'm not going to live for reward in heaven. That'd be selfish. Nope, that would be God glorifying if you lived for reward in heaven. So it matters, go for it. So I want us to take a moment. Thank you, Lord. We survived. (laughs) I want us to take a moment together and remember two things. That Jesus said, remember my death on your behalf by taking the Lord's Supper together. And I want us to finish with the Lord's Supper for for this reason. All this talk about works and reward can somehow get in your head, okay, I'm getting confused about my salvation. So we're going to, guys, can come forward. I want us to remember that these elements are the symbols that remind us that it is by the death of Jesus, his broken body, and his shed blood that we are saved. Guys, you're welcome to go ahead and start passing. If this is new to you, this is simply uh, an unleavened cracker that we break up to serve. There's no power in this. It's a reminder that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. That's why it's unleavened. Because leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. It's a reminder that he lived a perfect life so that he could die a substitutionary death. In the cup is simply juice that the scripture says is a reminder of the blood of Jesus and that by his blood, Our sin is paid for. So when we do this, we remember that our salvation is in and only in faith in Jesus. Okay, now, would you pause in your passing for a moment right now, please? Just hold on, whoever has it right now, hold on for a second. Thanks. Because here's what I want us to do for the next few moments. The scripture says when we do this, we should examine ourselves.
Are we living in love like we were loved? The warning is not, hey, if you're not a believer, don't take this. You'll drink judgment to yourself. The warning is if you've trust in Jesus and then you're living in an unloving manner and taking this, you are drinking judgment upon yourself. So it's a time to ask, am I living in love for the Lord, expecting nothing in return? And where you see that's not true, confess it to the Lord and remember, we're not motivated by shame, we're motivated by grace. So take time to examine and then we'll declare our love for the Lord and we'll take together in a moment. Examine your heart. says God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that he acted in love and it was to the glory of the father it's why the scripture says that he is seated above all at the right hand of the father because Everything he did was done how? In love. In love for the Father. And so with gratitude, we remember that our salvation is according to his grace, what he has done on our 
behalf. And as we take it, we're reminded that the Spirit of God now lives in us to go do for others what has been done for us. Let's take ingratitude. Father, thank you for the gift, not only your son, but your spirit, that we might be able to walk in newness of life, that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works by the power that you give us in Christ. Let's stand together and thank the Lord and be sent out in him. with power into the world oh holy spirit moving our hearts fill us with fire love for the world your compassion for the lost love that sends you to the cross we receive it we receive it Give us boldness to proclaim all the wonders of your grace. We will speak it. We will speak it. Because Jesus, you are worth it all. No matter what the cost, we believe it. And we believe it. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and us with power into the world and oh holy spirit move in our hearts fill us with fire and love for the world friends as we go let me close this way the word of god therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's go, let's do in the name of the Lord for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you next time. So glad you're here.